And while you're doing that, let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word this morning. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray for articulation of your heart. Give us ears to receive what the spirit of God has for us on this morning. We open ourselves for revelation. We open ourselves for what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus name we pray. Everyone did say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, we've been talking for the last little while from the subject of servanthood, understanding that it is a component by which God is calling every single believer to. It is a prescription there, for I say, to a life of success as defined by God, because God does not define success by means of the car you drive, the house you have. He defines success by the person that's one, a disciple, and number two, really, is a person that's submitted to his will. And the person that's submitted to his will, there are some areas that we got to get cleared up in regards to what that means. And so we've said for the last week or so, we've talked in terms of 2.0, 2.1, this area of embracing God as your heavenly father is an area and a component of servanthood. Because we've indicated to you in the past that servanthood really can be broken down into two areas, love of God and submission to God's assignment, love of God and submission to God's assignment. And one of the things that the spirit of God had me do is take a stronger pause in this area of love of God, because he said there's so many people that are serving me to get something that I already said belonged to them on day one, which is love. They're doing all of the stuff, the works to accomplish something that he said, you got it before you came to me, before you did any of the good works, before you did any of these things. I already love you. And so we've been talking about embracing God as our father. Last week, we began looking at and exploring the fact that even though everybody is made in the image and likeness of God, everybody is not a child of God. Jesus indicates in John chapter three, two births that we have. One is a natural birth, which we are made in the Imago Deo, which is the image and the likeness of God. But there is also this other area where he says you have to be born of the spirit, which is the second birth. Dare I say what we say is to be born again. Everyone has been born of water, but everybody hasn't been born again. And so we explore the reality of the fact that everybody, even though we're made in the image and likeness of God, everybody has not submitted and been born again to be a child of God. To be a child of God, therefore, is a child that has chosen to be born of the spirit. A person that has chosen to be born of the spirit, the second birth. But now... What begins to happen when you are born of the spirit is now we begin to move into this area where God Almighty becomes not just God that's afar off, 
but your heavenly father that resides with you. And my assignment this morning is to talk in terms of understanding and developing understanding of how much God loves you and the reality of the fact that when you understand how much God loves you, it can literally become a shield of protection in your life. For that, let's look at Psalms 5 and verse number 12. Psalms 5 and verse number 12, it says, For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous, with favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Now, that's good. Let's look at the New Living Translation. I like how it reads it this way. It says, for you bless the godly. O Lord, you surround them with your shield of love. You bless the godly. We looked at in the book of Ephesians that he said you already blessed in heavenly places with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now, he indicates to us in Psalms that he blesses the godly but he surrounds them with the shield of his love. When you understand how much God loves you or get a glimpse of how much God loves you, it's what is a shield in your life. When you understand how much God is for you, it becomes a shield, which is a place of protection against everything else of the external world. Look over, if you will, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 in verse number one. Genesis chapter 15, understanding that the love of God in your life, of your life, can be a shield for you to protect you. The love of God in and of your life, understanding that can become the source of protection that we all need so that when you go through life's issue, when you have circumstances that confront you, I never question whether or not God loves me. But for so many people, they do. Now, notice what what happens here over in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number one. God's speaking to Abram. He's been going through the process of walking by faith. And in this process, he's seeing all kind of things manifest except that one area in his life, his son. He's seeing how God is moving and doing great and mighty and wonderful things. But this is an area where he's really kind of like, Lord, what's going on? Why is it that my wife, Sarah, has not produced a child yet? God, what's going on? And notice what God says in response to this cry, this element in his heart. He says in verse number one, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, fear not. And that's one of the first things that God will always say to you when you begin to find yourself moving to an area of worry and overly concerned about issues. The first thing he'll always say is fear not. Now, notice what he says. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. He says, don't allow fear to start entering into the place of your heart, because when fear comes in, it displaces faith. And the next thing he says, I am your shield. I submit to you the shield that he is, because John tells us that God is love. This shield is a shield of love. He says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Now look over, if you will, to Ephesians. New Testament, Ephesians. Gonna be a little bit flipping this morning. Y'all pray. <laughs> Ephesians is also on the board as well. Amen. Thank God for that. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. The shield of love 
Abraham, he says, or Abram, he says, I am your shield. And look at this over here in Ephesians chapter six and verse number 16. Another familiar scripture it should be. Notice it says above all, taking the shield of faith, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I submit to you the fiery darts of the wicked ones of the wicked one there are thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that are counter to what God has said. He indicates here, take the shield of faith, where the Bible tells us over in Galatians chapter 5 that faith worketh by love. I submit to you the shield of faith is made from the material of love. It's formed from love. When you are in life's issues, that's why it becomes important to understand how much God loves you, that he's for you, that he wants the best for you, because of the fact it becomes a shield against all of the counter things that are taking place on the outside. He says, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Amplified Version of the Bible says, lift up over the coverings, the shield of the saving faith, indicating to you, one, you got to lift this thing up. When I'm seeing an issue in my life that's contradictory to what God has stated to me, the direction that God is telling me to go, I got to lift up this shield of faith to say, no, nah, I still believe God. I might not be seeing anything right now, but I still believe God. I might be seeing my whole family seems to be freaking out right now, but God, I still believe you because I trust your heart for me. My assignment again is to tell you again how much God's heart is for you and your family. God's interested in every area, every detail of your life. And that's part of the reason why you don't get, like I said a few moments ago, to leap over certain steps in your life. It has nothing to do with whether God can. Sometimes God takes us methodically through the process because he's interested in you being developed in the process and the steps. And so that's why it takes so long. It's not that God is not ready. It's not that maybe even the environment or the circumstance is not ready. God says you're not ready yet. Because if I were to put you on that level that you're believing for right now, you're not equipped in this area of faith yet to believe me. And so we got to go through steps and training and training and steps and steps and steps so that when you are elevated to the position that he's intended for you, then you are able to stand and stand for the long time or long have long endurance in your life. There are five things, though, in regards to being established that I'm assigned to tell you about this morning. I mentioned this on Thursday night. But there's an order to how God does things in this process of his order. There are certain things that God wants you to be established in. Well, what does the word established mean? It means literally to make you firm or stable so that you're not one of these Christians that you in faith today, out of faith tomorrow. I believe you God today. I'm not tomorrow. Up, down, up, down, up, down. That's not how Christians are supposed to be. We are not supposed to be wishy-washy, up and down folks. We are supposed to have a consistency in our walk. He says, now watch this. The word established also means to put on a firm basis. 
So when we're talking about these five areas, understand the thing that God wants us to have, he wants us to be stable and he wants us to have a firmness in these areas that I'm about to mention. He wants you to, first of all, be established in his love for you. He wants you to be established in his love for you. First John chapter four and verse number 16, now the Amplified. It says, and I read this quite a bit, but I think it's always good. We have come to know by personal observation and experience. And notice the term and have believed. Can I even say it like this? Has drawn the right conclusions because it's possible for you to allow life to teach you more than what God teaches you. And you're always going to end up in a problem when that's the case. Uncle and then uncle and, and mama and them and, and all them teach you all these kind of things. And if it's not word based and you place more faith in what they said over what God says, then you haven't come to believe who God is because you don't know him yet. He says we have come to know by personal observation and experience and I believe with a deep or with deep consistent faith the love God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides continually in him. So walking, being in love is not an option for the believer. That's the reason why 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks so much about walking in love. Because to walk in love means you are in the true place where you are abiding in the very presence of God. To know his love first, to know how much he cares for you. And then that love, because he says he pours that love on the inside of you, begins to extend in your life and then extend to the people in which God has called you to be an influence with. Now, notice this same scripture out of the voice. He says, we have experienced and we have entrusted our lives to the to the love of God in us. God is love. Anyone who lives faithfully in love also lives faithfully in God and God lives in him. So the first area that we have to be established with, the first area we have to be stable with in order to have promotion is to be established in the fact of his love for us. The second area that God wants us to be established in is to be established in your new identity. Your new identity, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 indicates to us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. He says, behold, all things have become new. Now the Amplified says, therefore, if any man be engrafted in Christ, he is a new creature, creation, a new creature altogether, old the old previous more and spiritual condition has passed away. We've got to become more firm in our new identity in Christ Jesus than anything else in our life. Well, what is the word? What does it mean to identify with something? Number one, it means to perceive the identity of something or or someone or something. When I identify with something, it means I perceive the identity of someone or something, I'm perceiving myself as assimilated with that. It also means to conceive as united, as in spirit, outlook, or principle. I can see that I'm a part of this thing. Now, we just finished football season. And one of the interesting things always to me is how people identify themselves with teams they never played for. 
They wear the jerseys. They put the makeup on. They do all kinds of things to say, that's my team. Have you ever went on the field? No. Have you ever been drafted? No. Have you ever done more than maybe high school or even some college? No. But that's my team. Well, really, what you're saying is I identify myself with this group. And one of the things is people understand that concept more than they do the concept of identifying themselves with Christ. He says, not only are you wearing the jersey, he's in you. The reason why Paul says by the gift of the inspiration of the spirit, put on the full armor of God is because he said, put on the jersey that's available for you. So you look like Jesus in the world spiritually. He says he's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, what he's saying is I want you to start identifying with me and not the sin nature that you used to have. We oftentimes, another way we identify is we identify with the social construct called race. We are supposed to identify with the blood of Jesus first, even over the race that we have on our skin. That yes, we see, that's the reason why how Jesus looks is never really defined in the scriptures because it didn't really matter what color he was. It matters about his blood. And if you actually look at the, uh, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, one of the interesting things that always struck out to me when you start looking him and dissecting the different names is how much of a blend Jesus is. I personally believe that Jesus inside of his blood, inside of who he was, he, he had every part of humanity on the inside of him because that's how he redeemed us by his blood. But we've got to identify not even with the color of our skin first, identifying with Christ first becomes important because when we identify with Christ first, then we are identifying with God as our father. And when we start identifying with God as our father, then limitations that we may have because of the color of our skin begin, begin to become secondary because we see the bigness of our God. Maybe God wants you to be the first, first black person to do this, the first black person to do that, because God says, I want to open up doors in your life so that other people can see that, yes, it's not that you are inferior. In fact, you are more than capable do anything that anybody else can do because I am your father. And then you give God the glory with your life and not say it's because I'm a black person. No, it's because God is the one that empowers me to do these things. I was watching um, uh, this past week, the sister, I, can't, I think uh, Judge Jackson, that's going to become the first black woman to the Supreme Court. And I was intrigued by the first thing she said. The first thing she said had everything to do with giving God glory. Now, us, particularly people of color, we're looking at this and saying, well, what a great achievement for us as people of color. But her perspective was correct. She said, no. Basically, she said, had it not been for the Lord, I wouldn't be standing here. What is she doing in this moment? She's identifying with her relationship with God first over that of her color. We are black. Most of us, all of us in this church, we are people of color. And I'm here to tell you that we've got to make sure that we have the correct order. It's Black History Month. Man, I'm a proud black man. You're you, you going to beat me at being proud. 
being a black man. But the thing that I'm the most proud of is my relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything else comes second, third, and fourth to that. Let's keep going. <clears throat> the third thing that you need to be established in is that God wants you to be established in, is to be established in your motives, to be established in your motives. Now, I want you to notice this over here in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 through 33. 31 through 33. This has to do with Peter. Peter is such an interesting disciple. He is very dogmatic regarding his faith, at least he thinks he is, until he comes up against the issue. He says, verse 31, it says, And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desire to have you and that he may sift you as wheat. But Jesus, he's responding, he says, he says, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now the translation literally says that it does not cease in existence. And he says, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brothers. But notice this, verse 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both unto prison and unto death. This is Peter's response. Because Peter had the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, well, we, Lord, you know I'm always with you. I'm a hundred grand. I'm with you, Lord. And, Peter, and, and Jesus says to Peter, no, son, you don't realize because you've never experienced pressure yet. You haven't gone through anything yet. And I know because something is getting ready to happen in your life that's going to confront your very faith. I've prayed for you in advance that your faith would not cease to be in existence once you go through this issue. You know, there's so many people that, you know, this is one thing that the Lord will lay on your heart that he'll say, I want you to pray for this person. Why? Because they're getting ready to go through something. They're getting ready to experience something that's going to challenge their faith and they don't realize where they are. This is one of the reasons why it's important that we know where we are in our faith. We, it's important to know where we are in our relationship with God so that when the challenges of life show up, we know our God. He says, son, let me say something to you. I'm praying for you because when you come to the other side, and he was thinking, Peter was thinking, when you get ready to come through whatever thing that Jesus is talking about, but Jesus is saying, no, when you come to the other side of being challenged, I pray that your faith is still intact. Peter's response is very interesting. He says, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And it wasn't long we begin to see really quickly that wasn't the case. Because the moment that Jesus was arrested, the moment that they were saying that you were with Jesus, Peter said, no, well, I'm out. I'm not going to stick with you. What do you do when you're in the midst of pressure? Do you abandon your faith? What do you do when you're... Do you abandon your belief? Jesus said, I pray for you that your faith will not fail. And when you come back to me, John chapter 21 and 15 through 17, notice he says essentially in his restoration, he asks the question, do you love me? Why? Because love is a motivator for everything that you do. Look at this over really quick over here in first Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. Jesus, when he's restoring Peter after he had this massive fail, he looks to restore Peter, but he restores him from this position of love. Do you love me, Peter? 
He says, then do the work. Do you love me, Peter? Then go do what I've assigned you to do. Now, not, notice this really quick in verse 13. He says, now about faith, hope, love, these three, he says, but the greatest of these is love. The Amplified literally says, and so faith, hope, love abides, faith, which is, he says, conviction and belief, respecting God or respecting man's relationship to God, the divine things, hope, joyful and confident expectation of the internal salvation. But he says love, which is, watch this, true affection of God or for God and men growing out of God's love for and in us. One of the things that God wants us to be established in is in the fact that he loves us and our love for him because it's what continues to allow you to move in the work. It's what allows you to keep going when you don't see anything. It's what allows you to keep going when you are getting tired. It's what allows you to keep moving forward. The love has to be in its proper seat. And that's the area that you have to make sure is established in your life. Fourth thing that you need to be established in is this area of trust, which produces faith. One thing God told me a couple years ago is, because I used to struggle with what is trust and what is faith, because it seems to be a word that, that can be flipped back and forth. Trust, faith, faith, trust, faith, faith, trust. And one of the things they dropped in my heart is that trust is how faith operates. Faith is the subject, trust is the verb. How do I operate in trust is through the subject of it being faith. I have to, the only way you can have faith is you have to have it rooted in what God has already said. How do you walk by faith? It's by trusting that what God said, he will bring to pass in your life. Watch this, John chapter 15 and verse seven says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. What is that? If the word of God abides on the inside of you in abundance, Abide literally means to dwell, to stay, to reside on the inside of you. That's what gives you the ability to ask what you will. And then trust that God has already answered your question or answered the prayer of your heart the moment you said, I do. If trust, if you do not have trust in God's heart for you, you will never trust God's plan and provision for you. If you do not trust God's heart for you, you will never trust God's plan and provision for you. So one area that is important that we are establishing is this area of trust, which produces faith in our life. It is the subject of faith. This faith that's produced in our life is this area of endurance. The fifth thing that we got to make sure that we're established in is that we are established, that God establishes you in this area of authority, which produces power. This area of authority, which produces power. Acts chapter one and verse eight says, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be, he says, witnesses unto me. So he indicates to you, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be a witness of me unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the other most parts of the earth. So to be established in power, the Amplified literally says ability, efficiency and might to be established in power is something else. Notice it's the last thing I said, because you got to make sure all of these other things are established in your life. And then God will give you the authority to operate. 
when he says to the disciples, I want you to go and I want you to go to this upper room. I want you to spend time with me and wait for the Holy Spirit to empower you. They're already walking in trust. They're already walking in faith. They already been spending time with God to know who he was. They already had all these other areas established. And then God says, from this point on now, you're going to get ready to walk in this area of authority. A lot of people want to be anointed. A lot of people want to be anointed. They want the oil flow on them. They want to be able to sing in the power. They want to be able to speak in the power. But they don't like the fact that God does have a methodical order in which you accomplish that. So the question then becomes, how do you know when you've been established? How do you know when you've been established in these areas? I'm going to give you these, then we're going to quit. Number one, I have a glimpse of who God is. I have a glimpse of who God is, his love, his majesty, his agenda. The Bible says over in John chapter 14, verse 21, he that has my commands and keepeth them. He is the one. He say it is he. He it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved by my father and I will love him. This is Jesus speaking and manifest myself to him. Now, notice I use the term a glimpse of who God is because we're never going to know fully who God is because he's too great for us to know all about who he is. But we get to know a glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of his majesty, a glimpse of his love for us. The Bible literally says the angels enthrone the, 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 the throne of God going around him saying, holy, holy. Every time they make a journey around his throne, they see something new about God. So we, it's impossible for us to, as finite beings to know everything about God. But we do get a glimpse of who he is based on what he's revealed to us in his word. Look at this over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. This is Paul speaking. He says, out of the New Living Translation, he says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. More and more information about who God is. Getting a glimpse of who he is allows the roots of your relationship with God to grow down strong on the inside of you and so that it will carry you through life. This is one of the reasons why you also you hear me say a lot of times, I am not an entertainer. My job, my duty is to sow the word. Verse number 18, watch this. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for you. So he says, Paul is saying to this church of edifice that, that, that the same thing we could say to us today. He says, I want you, I'm praying for you that you would know how long, how wide, how high, how deep God's love is for you, that you have a glimpse of who he is. Because it's what ex this experience that you have with God is what allows you to know that you are now, in fact, being established in this area. He says, verse number 19, may you experience the love of Christ that through, though it is too great to fully understand or understand fully, then you will be able, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. 
How do I know that I'm established in those areas that I just said? Number one, you got, you've had a glimpse of who God really is. Number two, you've shed the sinner's mentality. This is part of the reason why we spend so much time talking about you can't be a sinner saved by grace. You're either a sinner or you saved by grace. You've got to get to the point where you've shed the sinner's mentality. You think like a sinner. You walk like a sinner, even though you've been born again. Why? Because one, you haven't had your mind renewed by the word of God. Ephesians chapter four and verse 22. Let's look at that really quick. Ephesians chapter four and verse 22. Ephesians chapter four is an interesting portion of scripture. Ephesians chapter four and chapter five really talk in terms of embracing the life of the light of God in your life. He says in verse number 22, strip yourselves out of the Amplified of your former nature. He says, put all, discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your old or your previous manner of life and become corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion. He says, verse 23 and be consistently renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. The renewal of the mind is the first point of sanctification in your life. Well, what is the word sanctification? It literally means when you separate from the old to embrace the new. As long as I continue to embrace the old life, I can't receive the new life that God has for me. I have to have my mind renewed to receive who God says I am more than what I used to be. And until you shed that old sinner's mentality, then you can never see that say that you are established in this area. And so God's got to work on you because if I continue to think I'm a sinner, I'm going to act like a sinner. But when I see myself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, as a son and a daughter of the most high God, and begin to find out how God sees me, what God says I can do, then I begin to shed the old mentality to embrace who he says I am. The process is called sanctification. It is not, therefore, called being religious. Sanctification has everything to do with you embracing the way the kingdom operates being religious has you embracing everything except what the kingdom actually indicates. It has you doing all the religious rules. Number three, how do I know that I become established in these areas? I begin to see myself through God's determination for my life and not my own. How do I know I'm established in these areas? I begin to see myself, perceive myself through God's determination for my life and not my own. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, he says, Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of God is. In other words, what Paul is saying by the gift of the Spirit, he's indicating, he says essentially, I want you to shed the old life and I want you to live on purpose for the will of God. I want you, that requires, that means that you need to seek God concerning his will for your life. And I want you to not just be somebody that's walking around doing everything and anything. He says, I want you to embrace seeking God as a lifestyle. 
I want you to embrace being directed and led of God as a lifestyle. I want you to embrace the will of God for your life. And then he says, essentially, I want you to be concerned with embracing the will of God for your life. I am concerned about God's agenda, his will within the environment that he's placed me in. This is essentially what places you in a position to become a servant. When I'm establishing the areas where God's love is concerning me, when I'm establishing the area in which God declared me to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when I'm establishing the area that I've gotten a glimpse of his glory, I'm establishing the areas, then God says, you are now positioned to represent me as an ambassador and as to be light in darkness. How do I get to the position where God says, okay, I'm able to flow my anointing in and through you? It's because I'm wanting to put you in a position where people see me more than they see you. This is something that really sticks out to me these days that that sometimes when God has placed you in a certain place, people see everything around you and you don't get a chance to see it. They don't see, they see something on you that's with you, but sometimes you don't see it. You be looking around like Lord, Lord, I don't feel nothing. I don't. I don't feel particularly different. God said no, but when you said yes, and I'll do what you said for me to do, the anointing flows. It flows, and even though you might not feel anything, it flows around you. The peace of God flows around you. That's the reason why sometimes people like when you just show up at work because it seems like when you there, there's a peace that's here because you bring His presence with you. There's something that happens when when you are saying that now the, the power of God can flow through your life. Notice I didn't say the religious side. I said the power of God whereby it infects people. It begins to change and rearrange circumstances in the environment that God is the party because you are becoming a person that's a sent one and not a went one. When we have the proper perspective of God is my source, then my job then becomes a place of my deployment. And when I've been established in the fact that yeah, I've seen God and when I'm established in the fact that I am a son and a daughter of God, when I'm established in the fact that, yes, 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 I have a heart to do what you want me to do. God says, I'm flowing my power through you. And it might not be spectacular, but it will be supernatural. There's a reason why things will open at the job. There's a reason why things will work in your home. It's because you're not maybe seeing the spectacular move of God, but you are seeing the supernatural. That's the reason why when we hear uh, stories about maybe the foot trails in, in, in the beach and, and I look back and say, well, where I didn't see where you carried me, God. And he says, no, this this the foots are me showing you or, or taking you through the process. What, what we see in this particular story is essentially that there are times where you don't feel anything. There are times when it doesn't seem like anything's happening. But that's the reason why God says, don't be moved by what you see. Be moved by the assignment that I said, because things are happening with people that you are connected to that you don't even know about. Just be available to allow God to flow through you. That's the job. God, I'm available to you. I'm available where you say for me to go. I'm available to the place that you say. God, I'm available to you. My family is available to you. God, my heart's desire is to be a servant. My heart's desire is to be a son and a daughter that works for my daddy. 
When you have that as his proper seat, God says, I can use that person. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on this morning. Lord, we just declare in the name of Jesus, Lord, we are available for you. Whatever the assignment is, God, we're available for you. Whatever the place of influence, God, we are available for you. Lord, and as we even conclude this area of black history for this particular month, God, we thank you for all of the people that you've shown us even naturally here uh, that lend their lives to be used of you. God, we say with all of our hearts, God, use me. Let's make that confession. Lord, use me in my life. Use me at my job. Use me in my family. Father, I am available to you right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. On next week, we're going to begin an entirely new. Let me be very clear that I've not really concluded any of these things because there are eight areas concerning the prescription for a failure-proof life that we didn't even get into. Most of the time these days, I'm getting to the point where I'm understanding that, you know, some of these things will just, we'll, we'll come back to it as the Spirit leads at a different time. But next week, we're going to begin a new subject concerning the relationship of faith, the relationship of faith, what I call faith is, and we'll define it in different ways, and we'll begin that particular series on next week. But it's giving time. It's giving time. Amen. I did not put this in my notes, so I'm going to have to have the dependency on my screen here. <laughs> Over in Chronicles. <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 1 through 2. Scripture says, then King David turned to the entire assembly, this out of the New Living Translation, and said, my son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. So Solomon is getting ready to take the throne. And his daddy David says, no, I got to do something because one, he's young, he's inexperienced. And the temple that he's assigned to build is not for his glory, but it's for God's glory. So let's notice what David does. Verse number two. Using every resource at my command, he says, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood for, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stones and marble. So essentially what David's saying, Solomon doesn't got it, but he's assigned to build the temple for God. So he says, what I'm going to do is make sure all of the resources are available for him to do what God is in fact intended for him to do. So David says, I'm going to make sure that the gold's in place, the silver's in place, the bronze's in place, the iron. 
weapons in place. And notice before he says to build the temple up. And notice how he says, my God. Let's drop down. And now, because of, notice the term, my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected from his holy or for his holy temple. So he says, I've done the part as far as bringing the government resources together. Now I'm going to make sure I bring my personal possessions together because the temple being built is something that's important to me. Let's keep going. Now notice how it says in the King James, it says, moreover, I have noticed the term set my affections to the house of my God. I love how the King James says a particular passage of scripture because it really shows us David's heart. Now David's never going to see the temple built. He's never going to see the completion of this thing. But he says, before I get out of here, I'm desiring that God's purpose and his will is fulfilled within the earth. Let's keep going. He says, verse number nine, then people rejoice. The people rejoice over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. So essentially what happened is David opens this thing up. He says, I, I've given all of the government assistance. I've given for my personal assistance. And he essentially says to the nation of Israel, y'all want to give too? you. I'm opening this up so that everybody can give. And the people were overjoyed. They began to give their offerings freely and wholeheartedly from the Lord. Because once again, the principle is God loves a cheerful giver. So even in the Old Testament, when we see they're building the temple, the people gave not out of obligation, but they gave freely as unto the Lord. And watch this. Keep going. Verse 14, he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you. And he says, we give you only what you first gave us. Now notice this, uh, the King James Version of the Bible. If you've been in the Baptist church any length of time, this scripture in the King James Version of the Bible looks familiar. It says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer? So watch the term willing after this sort. Then he says, for all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Again, when we're talking about in the Baptist church, we sung this every week. We sung the song, all things come of thee, O Lord. Well, the concept is we're giving willingly to our God as he tells us to give. We're giving willingly to our God for the work of God. We are giving from a cheerful prompt to do it heart. And this is how God received for the temple to be built. This is how God received, if you go back in Exodus, for the tabernacle to be built. This is how God builds his church from the willing free will gifts of his people, not from corruption, not from obligation, but something that they want to do out of the abundance of their heart. Three ways that you can give to the training center. One way is by way of our website. Second way is by way of our cash app. Last but not least is by way of our PO box number or live in the house. 
all have received into this ministry. We thank God for everyone that sows into this ministry, all the members, all the partners that are online that sow by way of tithes and offering. We thank God for your obedience to sow into the building of this house. At this moment, we're going to set ourselves in agreement in regards to all of the seeds that have been sown. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we thank you and we give you praise, Lord, that you are the one that has given us seed to sow. All things, in fact, do come from you. And of our own God, we freely give unto you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that prospers us. You are the one that opens up the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing in which there's not room enough to receive. We thank you, Lord, that you rebuke the devourer for our sake. We thank you, Lord, that you are able to make all grace abound towards us because we are cheerful, prompt to do it, givers. And so, Lord, I declare over every sower in this house, every sower online, that you would bless them with abundance. The favor of God will rest over their lives because of their obedience and their cheerfulness and their willing hearts to sow into your word. We give you praise. We give you glory. It's in Jesus name we pray. Everyone to say amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, all right. Amen. You may be dismissed on this rainy last Sunday of February. Amen.